If you or a loved one is in need of counseling for help, call 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. 1-800-662-4357. Remember, you're not alone. <laughs> are run in a cycle of the news to where we almost become sick of them. What happened to the stories that dominated the news for such a long time? Did they ever figure out what the actor or actress's death was caused by? Who was the killer in that string of murders? Does the legendary creature exist? Or was it made up by someone simply seeking attention? How did that one person die? Welcome to the Aftermath, where we hop in our time machines and figure out what ended up happening in the news stories we followed so intently and then never heard the ending to due to life smacking us in the face with more happenings. Forgotten story. The death of the Alice and Jane singer, Lane Staley. If he grew up in the 90s, you were witness to some of the most amazing music. Oh, testify, my brother. Nirvana, Soundgarden, Nine Inch Nails, Stone Temple Pilots, Pearl Jam, just to name a few. One of the most unique musical acts that stood out for their own musical sound was Alice and Chains. Jerry Cantrell and our subject, Lane Staley, certainly did not match majority of grunge music bands at the time due to their harmonizing. But for Alice in Change, sound was that incorporating heavy metal elements along with alternative mix. How could anyone make heartache sound so wonderful? Still astounds me. Let's fire up the old Aftermath time machine and head back to 1987. It was the year of the first Simpsons cartoon, thanks to the Tracy Ullman show. A popular television sitcom Full House started on ABC. Ronald Reagan delivered his famous speech at the Berlin Wall in West Berlin, where Reagan implored the leader of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, to tear down that wall. Average cost of a house, $92,000. A gallon of gas, 89 cents. And a dozen eggs, 65 cents. Ah, the good old days. And then we have Alice in Chains. Well, not yet. <laughs> really? But they were starting. Oh, and under a different name. Before the formation of Alice in Chains, Lane Staley, then drummer. That dude was a train wreck. Landed their first gig as the vocalist when he auditioned to sing for a local glam metal band known as Sleaze after receiving some encouragement from his stepbrother, Ken Elmer. As with every band, they had their share of members coming and going. The name? Well, it comes from a really interesting conversation. One that Bacalos had with Russ Klatt, the lead singer of Slaughterhouse-Five, about the backstage passes, one of which was said, Welcome to Wonderland. And they started talking about that being a reference to Alice in Wonderland. Until Klatt said, What about Alice in Chains? Put her in bondage and stuff like that. <laughs> And so the band was officially born. Staley's introduction to Cantrell at a party was at a rehearsal space called the Music Bank. The pair became friends, and Staley invited Cantrell to crash with him at his rented unit while at the Music Bank. Shortly afterwards, Alice and Chains broke up. You broke up with me? As did Cantrell's band, Diamond Lie. I'm here to break up with you! <laughs> Permanently! Cantrell began auditioning players for a new band, recruiting drummer Sean Kenny and bassist Mike Starr. But he still needed that vocalist and held out hope that Staley would join. And as we all know, he did. 
and the rest, as they say, is history. What's up, boys? After the group scored rock radio hits and MTV hits with Man of the Box and Wood in the early days of grunge, Owls and Chains became one of the first alt-rock bands of the 90s to delve into acoustic music. I landing hits with Softer, No Excuses, and I Stay Away. Despite its success, the band was plagued with internal tensions during its commercial peak, much of which was stemming from Wayne Staley's drug addictions. Oh, I hate you! In 1998, amid rumors that Staley rarely left his apartment and that he had contracted gangrene, That's nasty. and lost his ability to ingest food short of a diet of Ensure, Jerry Cantrell told Kerrang! magazine, that the members of Allison Chains regularly hung out at Staley's house. On June 22, 1998, Staley made a phone call to a radio program called Rockline and gave a rare interview while Cantrell was promoting his first solo album, Bonnie Depot. Staley called the show to talk to Cantrell and stated how he had loved the album. Good job! By the end of his life, Lane Staley was not only aware his drug use screwed up his whole world, but that he wouldn't be around much longer. In his last interview, months before his death, admitted that he knew he was on his way out. Quote, I know I'm dying. I'm not doing well. Don't try to talk about my sister Liz. She will know sooner or later. I know I'm near death. I did crack and heroin for years. I never wanted to end my life this way. I know I have no chance. It's too late. This forced Lane into seclusion. Quote, I know I did my best or what I thought would be right. I changed my number. I don't want to see people anymore. Go away. And it's nobody's business but mine. This fucking drug use heroin is like insulin to a diabetic needs to survive it said Staley in a portion of an interview by blabbermouth quote i'm not using drugs to get high like most people think hi simply put Staley was an addict i never wanted the, the public's thumbs up about this fucking drug he said quote my liver's not functioning and i'm throwing up all the time and shitting my pants the pain is more than you can handle it's the worst pain in the world dope sick hurts the entire body arguably the closest to lane Staley in 12 months before his death was his mother, Nancy McCollum, who had always been there for her son, helped him seek treatment for his heroin addiction. Nancy was even working a treatment center the day Staley died, and it was her intervention that led the police to find his body. Staley's health deteriorated, and he became less interested in being social or recording with his band. Go away, bitch! In 1988, Lane Staley and Demi Laura Parrott, a model who would eventually become a grunge icon, Demery had a look that seemed to define the musical era. Beautiful in a small town way with her eyes, round cheeks, and curly hair. According to Allison Chains, The Untold Story, it was love at first sight. The two soon became engaged and eventually broke up around 1994. By then, Demery had also become addicted to heroin. On October 29, 96, she passed away due to an inflammation of the heart caused by previous overdoses. When Alice and Chain's first bassist, Mike Starr, was hanging out with Staley the day before his death, the last time that he saw him, as far as Staley's friend and family could tell, that anyone saw the singer alive, Lane revealed that he had seen Demery recently in his apartment. The two were watching the show Crossing Over with John Edwards, in which a medium claimed to speak to an audience member's dead relatives. When Staley said, quote, Demery was here last night. I don't give a fuck if you fucking believe me or not, dude. I'm telling you, Demery was here last night. For many fans, Alice in Chains epitomized the music movement we now call grunge, merging the hard-hitting riffs of California metal scene with the vulnerability and depression 
depression of the Pacific Northwest, the Seattle-based quartet created music that was heartfelt, without angsty and tough, without being hilariously macho. And while much of Alice in Chains' appeal can be credited, the swampy, languid riffs of guitarist Jerry Cantrell, even more the band's uniquely powerful sound was owed to his vocals of an original lead singer, Lane Staley. Lane's full-throated, crowing, and pained howls expressed a pained sense of humanity that many young listeners embracing the jarring nuances of the 90s grunge after emerging from a shallowness of the 80s felt in their bones. But while many singers attempted to sound more broken than the rest during the grunge's heyday, Daly could unfortunately back up the commotion behind his music. By the time he passed away on August 5, 2002, the singer was physically and emotionally crippled by his addiction to heroin, as well as by the use of other drugs. And while he will forever be remembered for his long-storied musical career, the last year of Lane Staley's life depicts him in a very different persona, which traumas and issues with addiction have fundamentally changed the musicians so many people knew and loved. Lane literally locked himself away from the world. According to Guitar World in 1997, Lane Staley, using his entity Larista Trust, Lane often used his fake name John LaRusta in his business dealings, perhaps as a reference to Alice in Chains' classic rooster, purchased an apartment in Seattle's bustling university district. This would be the singer's home for the next five years leading up to his death. Yet for the last part of his life, almost no one visited Staley in his apartment, and he rarely left. For the most part, Lane kept incredibly private and insular life leading up to his death, to the point of where a few times people did see him, it was notable, and that they even remembered well. According to a Facebook memorial post by early collaborators, Tim Branham that was reprinted from Alternative Nation in the end, almost no one could contact Lane. He wouldn't answer the door or take calls. He lived in a condo right smack in front of everyone in the university district. He weighed 80 pounds and his health was deteriorating. There were reports that he would go to Toys R Us just to buy video games and return home but always by himself. Gaming had become a way for Lane to lose himself. It was well known that Lane Staley was a lover of video games and would often disappear to play video games throughout Alice in Chains' recording process in Greg Prado's book, Grunge is Dead. His mother, Nancy, described him as a video game freak, while Tad Doyle of the seminal Seattle band Tad described how Alice in Chains would have his band on the tour bus playing video games and listening to music. However, like many of the things that seemed to make him happy, video games became an escape for Staley, a way to put his mind to something that wasn't too hard on his emotions. In a Rolling Stone profile of the band, Alice in Chains was playing whirly ball, a combination of lacrosse, basketball, and bumper cars that can only rock stars can, can ever dream of enjoying. Staley left, bound out of the game, to play video games on his portable Sega system. Lane Staley knew he was dying months before his death. There's a trope that rock stars overindulging in the bad behavior and harmful drugs, quote, think they live forever, but by the end of his life, Lane was not only aware his drug use had screwed up his whole world, but he wouldn't be around much longer. In his last interview, months before his death, Lane didn't want anyone else using heroin. Many outsiders looking at grunge claimed the movement glamorized drug use, promoting the concept of art and addiction, being intertwined via the lyrics and growing concept of heroin that was popular in the 90s fashion. But Lane Staley's final interview reveals that he was no longer using heroin for pleasure, but simply using it because he was addicted and couldn't possibly stop. Because of this, Staley was 
was disgusted by that heroin had affected his life and that he didn't want Allison Chains Bass to think it was cool. Lane Staley's mother was working with a rehab clinic when he died. Perhaps closest to Staley in the last 12 months before his death was his mom, Nancy. According to the interview she did with Seattle Times, Nancy was working at front desk of a rehab clinic on the day that Lane passed away. She was even planning to meet with one of his then-supervisors to map out their new line of treatment for her son. Then she received a call from his accountant saying that Staley had taken a large sum of money out weeks ago, and no one had heard from him since. Nancy rushed to his apartment, and when Staley didn't answer, she contacted the police. In many ways, Nancy is still haunted by her son's addiction. Addicts and fans sends her letters all the time, but she also sees Lane's lyrics on the subject as helpful and prophetic. That's what his music was about, she said, the life of an addict. He chose to write about it and sing about and perform about it. It was a warning. Lane Staley was in poor physical shape, but his mood was in good shape. As Lane Staley's health deteriorated, he became less interested in being social or recording with his band. They said that people who saw him deep into his addiction claimed that while Staley looked terrible physically, he was often the same smiling, lighthearted guy they remember. According to the interview with Staley's stepfather, Jim Elmer, in David DeSolo's book, Alice in Chains, The Untold Story, Lane seemed to be in high spirits towards the end of his life. Quote, he was smiling, he was talkative, and that's a good sign either he was doing better or he was trying to do better. That there's a more hopeful thing as compared to we're going to lose him in two days or something like that. Jeff Gilbert, an editor for Seattle Music Magazine Rocker, said that when Lane approached him on the street towards the end of his life, he looked bad physically, but seemed aware emotionally. He looked like an 80-year-old version of himself, and it was frightening. He still managed to smile, though. Every so often, you'd see that little glimmer. The last time Lane Staley's family saw him, he was in good spirits. As Lane Staley became more and more engulfed by his addiction to heroin, many of those around him began to see him withdraw as a tragic figure. But the last time his family saw him, it was actually rather sweet and good-humored capacity. On a profile on Staley from the Seattle Times, his mother Nancy said that her final memory of her son was him holding her nephew while visiting the family in 2002. I saw Lane on Thanksgiving of 01 and again around Valentine's Day when he came to see his sister's new baby. The last time I saw Lane... And the last picture we have of him is holding baby Oscar. Nancy makes specific point of mentioning those. Although her son had become withdrawn from the public, he was available for those close to him. He was never far from love with his family and friends who filled his answering machine and mailbox with messages and letters. Just because he was isolated doesn't mean he, we didn't have sweet moments with him. Lane Staley intended to record a song with Taproot the year was death. These days, many believe grunge killed heavy metal outright, but plenty of Grunge's big acts loved metal hard-hitting underground, a few more so than Alice in Chains, who simply riffed outright. Aggression earned them an opening spot for 1991's Clash of the Titans tour along with Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax. As such, it might not surprise some that Lane Staley was actually planning to record guest vocals on a song with alternative meddlers Taproot for their 2002 album Welcome the Band's Unique Sound, Staccato Rhythms, Throbbing Groove Riffs, and alternating guttural, harmonious, clean vocals made the album pretty perfect for Lane Staley as a guest spot. And according to Allison Chains, the untold story, Staley was enthusiastic about recording the vocals, though he asked the producer Toby Wright come alone because he wasn't looking or feeling great 
and didn't want to be seen. Sadly, Staley's vocals never got recorded, though he was interested in the project right up until his death. According to a statement by former taproom drummer Jared Montag, republished in the therap, Lane's mother told the band when he died he had Tappert's demo of their track in his CD player. Lane Staley refused medical attention the day before he died. Original Alice in Chains bassist Mike Starr spent the day before Lane's death with him. Starr's birthday, in fact, hanging out with the singer at his university district apartment. The interaction was mixed according to David DeSola's book. Lane was in a sour mood and got into an argument with Mike over his use of Benzaprine. Perhaps the most tragic part of this was that bassist, worried for Staley's appearance, tried to call 911 for his friend, but the singer declined. Speaking during a February 2010 episode of Love Line, Mike said, quote, I was with him all that day of my birthday trying to keep him alive. I even asked him if I could call 911, you know, and he said if I did, he'd never talk to me again. Of course, I didn't know he was going to die, or I would have called 911 anyway. I'd much rather him be alive and not talking to me than have lost such a great human being, a great friend, a great person. What a great person he was. Lane Staley's body wasn't found for weeks after his death. Officially, Lane Staley's official date of death was declared as April 5th, 2002. However, his body wasn't discovered until April 20th, two weeks after the singer had passed away from an overdose. According to Seattle Weekly, police were forced to break down Staley's door after his mother called them to his university district apartment. The scene they found was a harrowing one brown heroin stains leading from the bathroom to the living room, stashes of cocaine and crack pipes around the house, the TV on and flickering. Staley's body was sitting upright on his couch. According to Ultimate Classic Rock, his six-foot-one body weighed only 86 pounds. In one of his hands was a syringe loaded with heroin. A toxicology report done during Staley's autopsy found that he had morphine, codeine, and cocaine in his bloodstream. His death was ruled accidental. If you or a loved one are in need of help for help fighting a substance abuse problem, please call 1-800-662 help. That's 1-800-662-4357. Again, 1-800-662-4357. You are not alone. Special thanks to Guitar World, thepeopleshistory.com, grunge.com, allmusic.com, the Seattle Times, Allison Change, the Untold Story, by author David DeSola, MTV, Blubbermouth, David DeSola's book, Alice in Chains, The Untold Story, Find a Grave, and Seattle Weekly. Thanks for tuning in to our mid-season finale. Don't worry, we'll be back with even better content. For the Aftermath, I'm your host, Dan Hudson. Peace! Peace!